way. But at the end of the Bible is the book of Revelation. And there's, a, there's just a little segment that I want to capture out of there to speak to you about that I believe is a word from the Lord for us today. It's in the 12th chapter of Revelation, beginning in verse 4. Revelation 12, 4. And uh, Mark, are you ready? We're rolling? We're good? All right. Listen, while you're turning to Revelation chapter 4, I, I want to set this up because something amazing happened today. Um, I've had this word rolling around inside of me for a couple of weeks and have been thinking about it and just kind of preparing myself and I've been excited to bring it to you today. Entitled, The Accuser is Cast Out. So this morning I came early as I normally do on a Sunday and I was down here in the sanctuary praying and, and uh, just enjoying the stillness before the Lord and the Holy Spirit spoke to me clear as a bell and he said, go upstairs and pray up in the youth room. I never really do that so... Um, a second time, I just kind of ignored that, and then a second time, it's like the Holy Spirit just spoke in my heart, go upstairs, pray in the youth room. So I said, all right, I got up, and I jogged upstairs, I still can jog, and I jogged upstairs, I went into the youth room, I've got a beautiful room remodeled, a little carpet laid out, so I laid out on the carpet, just stretched myself out, laid out on the carpet, just began to pray, and I was down there praying for a few minutes, and the Lord and I were fellowshipping, and the Lord said, get up and sit on that couch. You know, God can be specific if you look for him to be specific. Uh, when you ask him to lead and to guide you, he'll do it. And sometimes it seems a little peculiar, but if he's really leading you, you'll, you'll know what the leading's all about by and by. So at any rate, he said, that couch up against the far wall. So I got up and uh, I sat in the couch up against the um, exterior wall and I went back to praying, and I'm praying, I'm lifting my hands, I'm just worshiping the Lord, and the Holy Spirit's speaking to me about the service and the Word of God stirring. After about seven minutes or so, I had my eyes open, and I'm looking at this great big whiteboard in front of me where Antonio and Kaylee write their lessons, and they're teaching the youth and everything. And I wasn't paying a whole lot of attention to what I was looking at, and after a while as I'm praying, praying about my message and what the Lord's given me, I'm starting to look at what's written on the whiteboard in front of me, and I'm thinking to myself as I'm reading what's written on the whiteboard, I'm thinking, am I in the spirit? Is this, am I really seeing what I'm seeing? I mean, I thought maybe I'm having a supernatural experience. And I'm looking, and there is my message, the text, the message, and everything, all written out on the whiteboard in front of me. And, I, and I'm looking, squinting, I got up, walked over, I looked at it, Sure enough, Antonio's been teaching the youth, and he's got my, my verse that I'm about to read to you, and the things that I wanted to share with you all written out on that whiteboard. I don't know when you put it up there. must have been a couple weeks ago, about the same time I got this message. And, you know, the Lord has a way of confirming what he's saying. Seven times in the book of Revelation, Jesus said, Hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And so when the Lord gives a confirmation like that, we want to hear. We want to hear and listen to what he's saying. The accuser is cast out. Uh, Revelation chapter 12 is, here's a little fancy phrase for you. It's a parenthetical insertion in the otherwise futuristic chronicle that is the book of Revelation. Because beginning in chapter 4 verse 1 of Revelation, John is in the spirit and he is transported into the future and he's seeing the end of the world and what follows or the end of the age I should see and what follows in all these events he's watching it and halfway through this dialogue that he's having as the as Jesus and the angels are showing him things is dropped this this insertion into the dialogue that takes John back to his present day a few years before back to the days when Jesus was born, crucified, and raised up. And so chapter 12 is a backwards look going back to the time when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. When he was born, lived, preached, died on the cross, rose from the dead. And it's inserted into the chronicle of the last days. And I thank God it's inserted because it addresses a very serious issue that faces every sincere and seeking Christian, and that is where really is the accuser? Where really is the devil? 
in regard to you and I, where is his position? Does he really have any kind of authority over us in these voices and, and uh, accusations that come on the uh, power of our emotions and sometimes with very strong thoughts and seem to just take the wind out of our sails and push us over where are they coming from and do they have any real authority over our life? And so <clears throat> this is the background and the context. And what he sees is he sees a vision of a pregnant woman who brings forth a man-child, brings forth a baby boy. And standing beside the woman is a great dragon, a red dragon that represents Satan, represents Lucifer. And uh, the great dragon is standing beside the woman who represents Israel, and her child that she's going to bring forth represents Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Hallelujah. And so the dragon is standing there with anticipation because he knows that God has said from the very beginning, a seed will come through Abraham's loins that will crush the serpent's head and will bring all nations back out from underneath Satan's dominion and back under the ownership and the control of Jesus Christ, the living God. So he's looking, knowing that Israel is going to birth this Savior one day, the Messiah. And it says he's watching so that he can pounce on that child the moment it's born and devour it before it can ever have the opportunity to fulfill his purpose. So you with me? Let's take a look at this verse 4, Revelation chapter 12. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. So she, Israel, gave birth to a male child who is to rule all nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. That happened when Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead. Now, Let's jump down to verse 7. Now, war arose in heaven. Notice the word now. It means when he was caught up to the throne of God, war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he, the dragon, was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down. That ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now, everyone say now. Now, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they loved not their lives even unto death. Now there's a lot in there. One of the things that might not have uh, jumped out at you as being obvious, I caught the phrase, his angels. Now, God created all the angels, but apparently a third of them followed Lucifer. And at that time, God called angels that had been his angels, the devil's angels. Lucifer, the devil, and his angels were cast out. I just simply want to point this out to you because when those angels made the choice to listened to the devil's lies. They put themselves under his authority, and God said, you're now, the, you're now Satan's angels. You're not my angels. You're the devil's angels, because that's who you're listening to. Do you get that? That's pretty profound. And the reason that's pretty profound is because after God created the angels and when he created the earth for this very specific purpose, he made man in his image and likeness for the purpose of having fellowship with him and ruling and reigning over all of the universe as the bride of Christ. God had the, the plan from the very beginning planned out. But understand that when the beings that he creates turn from him and allow the devil to become their authority, they make him their stepfather. 
And God said to the angels, God said to the angels, take your, take your angels, I'm sorry, said to the devil, take your angels and leave. And they were cast down out of heaven. Now, I want to point out to you that in the Gospel of John, in the middle of Jesus' ministry, in chapter 8, verse 44, there's an account where the Pharisees come up to Jesus, and they're always nipping at him and trying to tra trap him, the religious leaders. And Jesus turns to them one day, and he says, You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. That must have just sucked the wind out of their lungs. They just must have gone... <gasps> when he said that. Now, he said a lot of things that caused them to want to kill him, and they eventually made good on their desire. But Jesus nailed them with that comment. He said, your father the devil, and he went on in this statement and said, your father was a murderer from the beginning and a liar, and he's the father of lies. Well, they manifested that they were under his authority because they lied, they connived, they con uh, constructed this fake trial, and they put Jesus to death, essentially murdering him. So, he says to them, Correctly, even though these are the sons of Adam, we, the human race, made in the image and likeness of God, everyone loves to say we all are God's children. Humanity is all God's children. Well, there is, a, there is a, obviously a, a, not just a grain but a root of truth in that because we were created in the image and likeness of God. But mankind fell. Adam put himself under the devil, choosing to allow Satan's lie and temptation to be his authority, disobeys God and makes the devil his stepfather. So Adam damns the entire race. Everyone from Adam on is sold under slavery to a stepfather, an evil stepfather, Satan. And the desires and the characteristics of the devil are manifest in humanity to varying degrees. There are those who do very little to resist his character, and there are those who fight valiantly all their lives to rise above that sinful base nature. But that's always the line at which humanity is struggled. That's the skirmish line throughout all of history. And so Jesus, just I want to point out to you, makes this point that uh, your father is the devil. And he's not just speaking to the Pharisees. He's saying something about all of us, that having been born into sin, we're born into sin because Lucifer, or Satan, as he was, as he was named after he fell, became the stepfather of the human race. So now that I've said that, let me explain to you why he was up in heaven bad-mouthing Job. In the, book of, in, in the book of Job, and why we see him standing before God to accuse us, and what happened when this battle took place. Satan's relationship with the devil, um, excuse me, Satan's relationship with Adam gave him access to heaven. Now, I don't want to confound or confuse anyone, but just follow me. Before Adam was ever created, God cast Lucifer out of heaven and his angels. But we see in Revelation chapter 12 that he's back up in heaven again. So how did he get there? If he was cast out, how did he get back up into heaven? Well, uh, without taking a lot of time to go into all the theology of it, i just give you the simple, simple answer. The simple answer is that he was cast out because he had... Um, perverted his nature. Lucifer became Satan. He was cast out and he was no longer able to stand before God's throne. Having been in rebellion against God, he loses that position. However, God now makes man in his image and likeness and the devil goes after him. Now the devil talked a third of the angels of heaven out of being faithful to God and the Lord said, they're your people now. And when he was cast out, they were cast out with him because they belonged to him. So now God makes Adam and Eve and all the generations that will come out of their loins. And who's there to immediately step in and influence him just as he did the angels, but Lucifer. 
And Satan steps in and says, did God really mean this? And there's this little, this little, you know, playing with words and so forth. And the bottom line is when it's all over with is that Adam and Eve turn their back on God and they come underneath Satan's authority following his advice, taking his counsel. So you want to be careful who you listen to. So at any rate, at that moment, Satan now has a new set of authorities. He now has Adam's authority. When he, when he corrupts Adam, he receives Adam's house. He receives his authority. So now he's able to go back into the presence of God because what did Adam do every day? He walked with God in the cool of the day, talked with God. They had face-to-face -face fellowship. They had communion. So now, when you read in the book of Job in the Old Testament, and the Bible says the sons of God or the angels of God were gathered in heaven, and here comes Lucifer. He's back up there again. And God says to him, where have you come from? He says, I've been walking up and down throughout the earth. And, and God says to him, well, he said, uh, <clears throat> have you checked out my servant Job, how obedient he is? And the, and the devil says, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, but, but he's only obedient because you've bought him off. You've pampered him. You've blessed him. He's under your, your divine protection and blessing. And who wouldn't praise you and who wouldn't live righteously? Look at all that he gets for it. Now, how did the devil get back up there? Because Adam put him back up there. He's up there with Adam's authority representing man before God. So now he's, he's, he's got access back again before the throne of God, and he's man's accuser. Every time people pray, every time they seek his face, the devil is up there to insert himself between man who has fallen, because he's now man's slave owner, if you will, and man's his slave, and he's speaking to the Creator, saying, yeah, they're not all that. They're just, they're, because the devil always operates from a certain amount of truth, perverts it, twists it to his own advantage, his own end, and uh, then, then presents it. So he's standing before God as the accuser. And so every time there is an issue about mankind, the devil is standing there pointing out to God, they're all a bunch of sinners. And he's right. And let me tell you something else you may have never thought of. When the devil said to God, yeah, well, you've bought off Job. You've pampered him. He was right. God had pampered him. God had blessed him. That wasn't a lie. So he's there pointing out the fact that even though you have pampered him, he's still mine. He's still a sinner. And all of mankind are still sinners. He's essentially saying to God, you and I both know that they're all corrupted, that they all have the poison of sin in them. And even the best of them, in their best efforts to be righteous, cannot pull themselves up and free themselves from corruption. They all eventually fall. And when you read the whole story of Job, you find out that he wasn't pure. He, had, he was corrupted. So the point is, we've got this thing going on where before Jesus Christ dies on the cross and rises from the dead, Satan is standing before God, bad-mouthing man. And bad-mouthing everybody in the human race's efforts to do something good, saying, yeah, but it doesn't matter what good they do. The fact is they're all sinners. And ultimately, in the end, they're all damned and doomed. They cannot bring themselves back into fellowship with you. They cannot meet your level of righteousness. So, Job was pampered, as I said, and the devil used that to constantly accuse him. Now, God saw, God has always been aware of what's going on, and God saw that there was no intercession, that there was nobody to constantly accuse him. Now, God saw, God has always been aware of what's going on, and God saw that there was no intercession, that there was nobody constantly accuse him. 
Now, God saw. God has always been aware of what's going on. And God saw that there was no intercession, that there was nobody constantly accuse him. Now, God saw. God has always been aware of what's going on. And God saw that there was no intercession, that there was nobody constantly accuse him. Now, God saw. God has always been aware of what's going on. And God saw that there was no intercession, that there was nobody constantly accuse him. Now, God saw. God has always been aware of what's going on. And God saw that there was no intercession, that there was nobody constantly accuse him. Now, God saw. God has always been aware of what's going on. And God saw that there was no intercession, that there was nobody men and women in the Old Testament were, God saw that none of them were really qualified to rise up and stand before the throne of God and say, let me speak on man's behalf. Let me intercede on behalf of mankind and defuse the righteous judgment of God against the corruption of sin. He saw that there was no intercessor, no one to intercede or to stand between God and the accuser. That accuser was up there accusing as distasteful as it was to God to have to put up with. He was there with a certain amount of right, if you will, to be there and to say the things he was saying, however true or distorted they may have been. And in Isaiah chapter 59 in the Old Testament, Isaiah prophesies, looking ahead, to Jesus um, coming to be our intercessor. And he says in Isaiah 59, 16, And God looked and saw that there was no man, and he wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation, and his righteousness upheld him. What he's doing is he's talking about Jesus, the man, who is God tabernacling in human flesh, who lived that perfect life, went to the cross and took Adam's place so that he could rise back up to heaven and be that intercessor and stand before God and be that one to replace the devil, hallelujah, who was speaking as the stepfather of mankind. He would reunite us and the Father. Can you say praise the Lord? All right, so let me, let, let me look at our, our text again in verse 9, Revelation chapter 12, 9 and 10, just to refresh your memory. Uh, there was a great dragon, and he was thrown down, that ancient serpent called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down into the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Now, this verse 10, this is the, this is the good part. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now. Everyone say now. now. Now the salvation, the power, the kingdom of God, and the authority of Christ have come for or because the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night. So that word now, as it was written in the scriptures originally, literally means right now. It's not now something has, has happened and it's going to have an effect, but it's a word that really emphasizes the immediacy of that moment in time. So God says, as he looks back, takes John to look back in the book of Revelation to, to the time where Jesus dies on the cross. When Jesus rose from the dead, do you remember what he said before he, before he gave up his spirit, before he died? He said what? It is finished. The moment he said that, and Jesus died, when he died for our sins and his blood was retrieved and put upon the mercy seat in heaven, the Bible says that the Michael and the angels of God were released to immediately apprehend the serpent and all those angels, and they were taken and they were forcibly and violently cast down out of heaven. Hallelujah. It says now, meaning just now. 
So there's a lot of there's been a lot of theological debate over well when is the the, the devil cast down out of heaven. The reason this is important there are a lot of Christians who read this stuff in the Bible and they think that the devil can go before God and accuse them before God. They think the devil actually has the ability to go to God and rat you out. Badmouth you and talk about, you know, I saw that Beverly sneaking those chocolate cookies from under bed. See? So, you know, I mean, that, that, that's obviously kind of a silly example, but they can, they can get very serious. If you think that Satan has the uh, ability to stand before God, bring up your faults, badmouth you, pry and question your position before God, that could be very damning and very damaging. And so he says, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom. Look, let's stop kicking that can down the road. The Bible says now when Jesus rose from the dead, salvation Power, the kingdom, and the authority of Christ have come. Not just they're going to come. I know Jesus will return one day, but have come. God's authority for us, power, salvation, have all come because Satan has been cast down, can no longer accuse us anymore. Can you say amen? amen. So another way that you could paraphrase this verse, and then I'm going to move on, I just want to make sure we've got a solid, solid understanding of Revelation 12.10, our text. As soon as Jesus was caught up to the throne, just now, in this very hour, is caused to be salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ because the accuser of the brethren is cast down. Before you were ever born, you that live in the, the 21st century, have come out of the 20th century, before you were ever thought of, before you were ever brought into this world, Satan was cast out of heaven. When you came to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you entered a relationship with a Father that put you right at the throne of God. And there is no place for the devil to come between you and your heavenly Father. There's absolutely none. The Bible says now is salvation and power. Now is the kingdom of God. The Bible says the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Everything that God has promised you as a born-again child of God is yours right now. The authority to have it, to walk in it, is yours, and the devil cannot take it from you. And we're going to deal with, well, what can he do? But just so that you understand, he was cast down because Jesus rose up and did something to change your relationship with your old stepfather. When he died, the only way to, to free your relationship with the devil as your stepfather was to kill you. Now you're free to have a new dad. The dad you were supposed to have all along. The one that originally created you. When Jesus died, he died your death. He died the death for sin that bounds you to Satan. And that death releases you from Satan as your stepfather. So, once that takes place, you're free to, as Jesus said to Nicodemus, to be born again because you've died. And you're born again instantly in a moment when you received Jesus. You received his death that separated you and severed you from the accuser and instantly fused you into oneness with your heavenly Father. By receiving Jesus, you receive his relationship with God. Listen, my relationship with God is, <clears throat> it's what it is. Um, you know, it could be better. Uh, I could do more. I could be more of this, less of that. How many of you could say the same? It is what it is. It's a work in pro progress. Is that not right? But your righteousness is not based on your relationship with God. Your righteousness is based on Jesus' relationship with God. It's not based on how you're doing in a, in a snapshot of time. It's what He's done, and it can never be undone. Hallelujah. So your sonship is a gift from God. 
Now, how you're doing with God in any different, at any given time or at any diff, uh, uh, moment probably has an effect on how well His authority and blessings are working in your life. But the reality is, is that it's an airtight, you can't unmix what's been mixed. You've, the blood of Jesus has entered your life for a reason. The old blood was taken out and new blood was put in. The blood of your heavenly Father, not the polluted blood that had Satan's nature running through it that you received from Adam, but the one you received from the second Adam, Jesus Christ. Somebody say praise the Lord. So you understand that, re, that Jesus, who is God, come down from heaven into earth. The fact that he returns back to heaven through Calvary's cross, rather than just saying, you know, I've had it with you all. You want your crazy religion. You want your nuttiness. You want your game playing and trying to make yourselves, trying to prove that you're righteous before God by making yourselves better than one another. You want all that self-righteousness. You go ahead and have it. I'm tired of you. None of you will pay any attention. I'm fed up and I'm out of here. And poof, he just goes. Thank God that didn't happen. But it could have. The Lord certainly had every right to just say, ah, I don't think so. I'm going back. He's God. What's he gonna, who's going to stop him? But he exits earth and goes back to glory through Calvary's cross, dying the death for you and I. That qualifies him not to be the Son of God because he already is God made flesh, the Son of God. It qualifies him to ever live as your intercessor. Back in Isaiah, God said, I wondered that there was no intercessor. Jesus came into the world to leave the world through Calvary's cross to qualify as your intercessor because only he, as your intercessor, could drive Satan out of heaven. As long as the devil could claim the human race as his stepchildren, he has a right to stand before God and speak about man. And you know, it's amazing to me when I think about it, that all of those years, our Heavenly Father put up with the insults of the devil's presence before his throne for only one reason, because he loved us. Out of his love for you and I, he put up with that serpent coming into his presence and constantly hissing out half-truths, trying to argue like a sleazy lawyer before the throne of God. Yeah, well, you know. You've bought him off, and you've done this, and you've done that. And God had to put up with that. And um, he endured it for a long time because he loves you and I. Because he knew one day this is all going to end, and it's going to end well. It's going to end well because my son is going to come up and take the serpent's place as the intercessor of mankind. He earned the right to say the human race is mine. That's why we're running all over the world telling everyone we can, Jesus is Lord. Take Him as your Lord. Make Him Lord of your life. I don't care whether you're Hindu, Baptist, atheist, existentialist like I was. Whatever your background, whatever nation, wherever you've come from, whatever you've believed, we all have one thing in common. We're all fallen from the grace of God and we're all were all, and those that have not received Jesus are still all the stepchildren of the devil. Now, like I said, a lot of people, maybe even most, spend their whole lives fighting that nature, fighting that relationship, would be mortified to think, to realize that they really are the stepchildren of the devil. Most of them don't even believe there is a devil, but it doesn't change reality. What they believe or don't believe has no bearing on reality. Reality is what it is. That's the, that is the magnificent thing about the I am. When Moses met God, he said, who are you? He said, I am that I am. Why, is, why could God say I am that I am? Because he's the one who makes what is, is. When you ask the question, well, what does is mean? Guess what? There is an answer. God said what is, is, because he's the I am. Somebody say amen. So, 
If the devil is not standing before God yapping about you, who is standing before the throne of God talking about you and I today? Jesus ever lives to make intercession. He loves to stand there because he is us. He is one of us. Not just in compassion, not just in empathy, but he is bone of our bone, flesh of our flesh. He took us on so that we could take him on. He stands now between humanity and the Father speaking about who you are. Look, if you can possibly do it, don't pay any attention to what the devil down here is saying to you about you. In fact, don't pay too much attention to what you are saying about you or what other people are saying about you because they're bound to be wrong. Turn your attention to the conversation that's going on between the Father and the Son because that's where you're being discussed in terms of reality, in terms of what you are, what you really are. And you say, yeah, well, when I flub up, I can just imagine Jesus saying to the Father, oh, she really is a lot of work, a lot of work. I don't know. Man, we've been around this mountain. Oh, just, I don't know if things are ever going to change. See, that's the way the devil talked, but not Jesus. Jesus said, I, I am in her. I've begun a work. I'm going to bring her through. I'm going to bring her to the end. She's going to make it. She has a new life in me. And the Father says, that's right. You see, the relationship you have with God is the relationship Jesus has with God. It's a perfect relationship. Praise the Lord. Now, your fellowship may need some improving, but your relationship, it's solid. Somebody say amen. You know, I love that verse, and, and I want to apply it now to this teaching. You've heard it many times. Romans 8 says, What then shall we say about these things? If God is for us, who could be against us? Indeed, he who spared not his own son, but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also, along with him, freely give us all things? Now listen. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. He's talking exactly to Revelation chapter 12 and 10 about the serpent being cast down. He's asking the question, and it's an academic question, but it's a practical one. Who can bring a charge against you when Jesus is Lord of your life? Who can do it? Who can bring a charge against God's elect? He answers it, it is God who justifies. Who is the one who will condemn? Christ is the one who died. Moreover, and was raised from the dead, who is at the right hand of God, and who is also interceding for us, who can separate us from the love of Christ. So what is he saying? He's saying, Jesus represents you before the Father. Show me the accuser. Show me the person who could badmouth you. Show me the person who could bring up that thing that uh, you're going to do later on this week, that you're going to be ashamed of, and you're going to go, oh, not again? Show me the person who's going to bring that up to your Heavenly Father and be able to use it to pry your relationship with God, or more importantly, His relationship with you, apart. He says, it's Christ that died and died for that sin. It's Jesus who justifies you. It's not about you. It's about Him. Somebody say, praise the Lord. So where is your accuser today? If he was cast down, well, Revelation goes on to say he was cast down into the earth. Full of wrath. In other words, he's sufficiently ticked off. He is really angry. Because he can't go stand before God and talk against you. Well, where is he and what's he doing? He's cast down into the earth where he concentrates all his accusatory powers of persuasion. <laughs> Apparently he doesn't like to be talked about, yes. He's in the earth and he is 
concentrating all of his accusatory powers of persuasion against you. Listen, trying to pry your faith from the truth of God's grace. Satan's accusations are aimed between faith and truth. Now catch this, because if you miss it, you'll, you'll miss the, the, um, the applicable part of this message. Satan is on the earth now, and he's standing bef beside you, just almost nonstop, issuing accusations, just like he did before God, but now they're aimed at your head. Sometimes he's talking to you through your mom. Sometimes you talk to you through your husband. Sometimes through yourself. Sometimes through the TV set. And you're seeing things that are messed up, and then you're sitting there thinking, well, I do the same things. And he's there constantly accusing you, focusing that accusation. It's a crowbar. And he's trying to jam it in between your faith and God's truth. And pry your faith off of the truth that Jesus is ever living to make intercession for you. He, everything he says to you is meant to try to pry your mind off of believing that you are the righteousness of God in Christ. To pry your faith off of the truth that you are airtight with the Father and that nothing can separate you from the love of God. Every time you blow it, every mistake you make, every temptation that comes drifting through your mind, the devil is there to try to talk you out of truth. Because quite frankly, he knows that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. He knows that faith is what connects us to truth. He wants to pry your fingers off of the truth of God. Even if he can get you to just open your hand and partially accept some of the lie of the enemy that he can separate you from God. And he, and he does it masterfully by using you against you. He just fights you with you. That's all he does. He waits for you to do something dumb, to do something regrettable or stupid. And then at the moment you do, he says, see? See what's going on there? See, that's your relationship with God. That's what really it's all about. Every true child of God, every true Christian really knows the secret inside that when you do something regrettable and stupid inside, you're not there. You're not with that. You're not a rebel in your heart. And it grieves. It pains you. There's a conviction, a sorrow, a, a sense of regret. Before I became a Christian, I rejoiced in sin. <laughs> I didn't regret any of it. I mean, I regretted maybe having to pay for some of the things I did. But you know what? I, I wasn't regretting that I wasn't living a godly life. It never occurred to me as an existentialist atheist to even think about why would I waste my time trying to be right with God. Such a silly, abstract thought. But as a, as a believer, I am one with the Father. He's one with you. And when you do something dumb, there's that feeling inside that, wow, I've just acted in conflict with where my life is really planted. I've acted in conflict with the love that God has within me. But that love never leaves. But you know what? The very second you do that, the devil is there with his accusatory powers to say you've lost that relationship with God. He's there to immediately tell you, you know, the Father's really disappointed in you. He is really upset with you because, you know, he's been working with you a long time about this and we thought we had this dealt with. He's there to talk you out of your relationship with God. He knows that he can't rob your relationship with God. He knows he can't separate you. The Bible says, who can separate us from the love of God? He knows he can't. So why does he keep trying? Because he's trying to keep you from using the authority, the kingdom, the power, the blessing. He's trying to keep you from leading others to Jesus. He's trying to keep you from living a life of victory that's going to attract people to the truth of, of uh, relationship with God through Jesus Christ. He's trying to gain 
however pitiful it may sound, whatever advantage he can gain, he hates God and he's taking it out on you who God loves. It really can't make it any more complicated than that. Let me close with this scripture and thought this morning. The devil is standing on the earth to accuse you, but Jesus is standing before the Father, constantly interceding on your behalf, speaking the truth. One is a lie. One is the truth. And that's why the Bible says, set your affections on things above. That's where the truth about you is. The conversation about your life isn't what's going on down here while the devil's filming everything you're doing. It's the one that's going on before the Father and the truth of God's Word. You need to disconnect with all the evidence and the accusations and connect with the Word of God. What does the Word of God say about me? That is the truth that heaven has sealed. Can you say amen? The truth is, and by the way, the Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 17, grace and truth, I'm going to put my hands together, represent grace and truth, two sides of the same coin, bound together. There's no such thing with grace without the truth. And there's no such thing as God's truth without grace. God has married grace and truth because grace must be protected. It must be encased and bound and protected by the truth. Because grace cannot be undone by your feelings. Grace cannot be tampered with and eroded because you feel like a failure or because you feel like you've disappointed God or you're not worthy. If you all of a sudden are convinced that you're not worthy of His grace anymore, does that mean the light of grace is going to, God's going to reach over to the dimmer switch and turn the grace down on you? No. You may feel that. You may believe a lie. Why does God marry truth and grace so that no matter how you feel you will act upon the truth of grace instead of sitting there and having this up and down life based on the ups and downs of life rather than the consistency of God's word so the truth is that God will never turn against you he's made you his son he's made you his daughter he'll he will never turn against you and secondly, Jesus will never let the devil dictate your status before the Father. Never. He ever lives to make intercession. The devil says, the Bible says the devil was cast down now forever. He will never stand before God and speak concerning you ever again. He's not doing it now, and he never will do it. He can't do it. He has no access to God. He can't talk to God about you. He's talking to you about you, but he can't talk to God about you. And I want you to take that and stick it somewhere where you put those top ten truths that you can base your life on and make it one of those top tens, praise the Lord, that Jesus will never allow the devil to dictate your relationship with God. I've heard so many Christians over the past 40-some-odd years of walking with the Lord say, you know, I gave the devil ammunition to use against me. I did this, and it's given the devil opportunity to come into my life. The only thing that you can do to give the devil access, uh, that gives the devil access, is gives him access to harass you with his lies. The only power he has over you is that he's, a great, he's great at bad-mouthing. And you are very, very uh, affected by words. Very affected by ideas. Those ideas are very powerful. But you need to buck up and take that great mind that God's given you and you need to plant it on the truth. That when those thoughts come and the enemy tries to destroy and ruin your life with his lies, you're standing on the truth and you're resisting him with the truth of the Word of God. So I'm going to close with this verse. Hebrews 4, 6 says, Let us therefore, and I say, I use this verse because the therefore is in, in light of all that's been said this morning. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. There's no devil there. There's no accuser of the brethren. 
Come boldly to the throne of grace. Find the mercy you need. Find the grace you need. That's the answer for you. Somebody say praise the Lord. I want you to close your Bible stand with me this morning. And um, our altar call today is all about acknowledging the truth that the accuser has been cast down and that the accuser no longer has access to your relationship with God. What he does have access to is your mind. But he does not have access to your relationship with God. Jesus is the only one that has a handle on your relationship with God. So that's why you need to talk to him when you goof up. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you. Because you live, we live also. The accuser of the brethren is cast down. And Lord, I just want to say thank you. Because everything that needed to be done for me to be one with you was done. And just say, thank you, Father. Thank you. Hallelujah. That the devil is a liar and that Jesus is the truth, the way and the life. We just bless you today, Father, in your mighty name. While heads are bowed and we're praying, just one more moment before we dismiss. If there's anyone here this morning and deep in your heart, you're feeling, I'm not really right with God. I don't have that connection. I can't say with confidence that I'm, that I'm born again, that I've received Him as Lord. And you want to make the decision, because that's what it is on your part, a decision to receive Him as your Savior and Lord, to let Him who is standing right now before the throne of God on your behalf, to let Him be Lord of your life and what He has done for you to become a truth and a reality to you. If you're here today and you want to just lift up your hand and say, Pastor, I'm one of those. I want to say yes to the Lord this morning as my Savior and receive Him as my Lord. Just slip your hands up and I'll know exactly who I'm praying with when we pray. Excellent. Let's pray. Let's all pray this together. Heavenly Father, I come to you. Thank you that what I could not do concerning my own life, you did. What was beyond me, you took that up and you dealt with my failures. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord of life and I receive you, Lord, as my Savior. Lord, my heart and my life is yours. Come with the Holy Spirit into my life. And I say thank you, Father, for receiving me because just now I have become a child of God. My name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Satan has no authority over my life. From this moment forward, my fate is sealed in the goodness of God. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name. Hallelujah. Glory to God. You may look up.